Good morning, everybody. Like Lauren said, my name is Matt Gruden, pastoral resident here at Emmaus Road Church, and it's a joy to open God's Word together with you. So, would you open your Bibles, please, to Exodus chapter 16. December 20, 2020. <laughs> I think it's possible that when most people hear that date, all they hear is the year 2020. And what a year, right? <laughs> what a wild, strange, revealing year that was. And that year is memorable to me for many reasons, and I'm sure there are many reasons why that year is memorable for you as well. But it was that year, specifically in December of that year, that I received a call from Greg Dernberger saying something to the effect of, what do you think about leaving that nice little setup you have in South Carolina and moving to Louisville, Kentucky for 10 months, and then back to Sioux Falls to join the team here at the Mayus Road Church? Woof. <laughs> that conversation sent Jamie and I down a path that has led us all the way to where we are now. And if, as it was for most of our country, the year 2020 represents a year of uncertainty about the future, that would definitely be true for me and my family. Uh, for the next seven months, Jamie and I discussed, argued, prayed, made lists, pros and cons, asking, should we do this? What would that even look like? We were very comfortable right where we were, beautiful home and sunny, warm, South Carolina, right down the road from her wonderful parents, near family with cousins. The beach is two hours away. Those things exist. How are we going to survive with no income for 10 months in a city and state that we've only ever driven through, and now we have a baby on the way? There's no way. Well, maybe you can relate to us. Big decisions loom ahead of you. Whatever you do will have significant effects on you and those around you, or you are in a season of suffering or waiting and are wondering, where has God gone? Do you remember back in 2020 when the first rumblings of the lockdown were beginning? Everybody where we were down in South Carolina did one of two things, and probably both. They bought guns and ammo and toilet paper. <laughs> The rush to the grocery store and to the gun store was incredible, so much so that rationing, remember this, rationing had to happen on those two items, and they were happening everywhere. Why those two things? The future wasn't certain, and people did not want to be caught unprepared. <laughs> and now, and now, we look at what's happening globally, what's happening in our financial systems, what's happening locally in our schools and hospitals and jobs. One might be tempted to wonder what is happening. Where has God gone? And will he continue to provide for me and my family? How long can I continue to pay $5 for a dozen of eggs? I found it to be true in my own life that nothing destabilizes my faith in the Lord faster than financial worry. Brings, that brings a unique suffering that causes me to doubt God and his provision. But as we will see with the Israelites, when I doubt God, and his provision of the future, I first have to forget all that he's already done. I, forgot, I forget that he has always kept his promises. And he has said that he will hold me fast until the very end. Like Caleb said this morning, he will bring us home. So do I trust that? 
The book of Exodus so far has consisted of the Israelites, the promised people of God dwelling in slavery in Egypt, and God announcing his intentions to save them. That's chapters 1 through 5. In chapter 6, that rescue plan is put into action, executed, through the display of the Lord's divine power in the plagues, his gracious mercy in the Passover, and the Israelites' eventual plunderous exodus from Egypt, culminating in the incredible parting of the Red Sea, the destruction of the Egyptian army, and ending last week in chapter 15 with the glorious and majestic song of Moses, sung by the entire nation, recounting the wonderful, saving works of God. But if you've ever been to a concert or a sporting event or a movie when something incredible just happened. You just witnessed something amazing. There's always that awkward moment when the lights come up and everybody starts filing out back to their daily lives. And here at the end of chapter 15 through chapter 16 and into the beginning of 17 as we'll see next week, we have a new scene in the story. The glow of the exodus is starting to fade. And the Israelites are staring at the harsh reality of the Sinai Desert. God has made good on the promise of getting them out of slavery. But will he make good on his promise to bring them to a land flowing with milk and honey? It feels like a long way to walk with two to three million people. The narrative shifts at the end of 15. And what is recorded next are three separate scenes of Israel grumbling and complaining and God graciously and patiently providing. All this takes place just in the first month after the exodus from slavery. Today, we're going to zoom in on the second and largest section. So, out of reverence for God's holy and authoritative word, would you please stand, if you are able, and follow along with me as I read Exodus chapter 16. They set out from Elam, And all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai, on the fifteenth day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill This whole assembly with hunger. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you. And the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I might test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you shall see the glory of the Lord, because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what, we are, for what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, When the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat, and in the morning bread to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling, that you grumble against him, what are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, Say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, Come near before the Lord. For he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness, and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, at twilight you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. 
In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp, and in the morning, dew lay around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine, flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. And when the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they do not know what it is. And Moses said to them, It's the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather it, each of you, as much as he can eat. You shall each take an omer according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. And the people of Israel did so. They gathered some more, some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over. And whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it over till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it still in the morning, and it bred worms and stank. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered it, each as much as he could eat. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. On the sixth day they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow to be a solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake, and boil what you will boil, and all of it is left over. Lay aside to be kept till morning. And so they laid it aside till morning. And as Moses commanded them, it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. Moses said, Eat it today, for today is the Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. And on the seventh day some of the people went out to gather, but they found none. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain, each of you, in his place. Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. Now the house of Israel called its name manna. It was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. And Moses said, This is what the Lord has commanded. Let an omer of it be kept throughout your generations, so that they may see the bread with which I fed you in the wilderness when I brought you out of the land of Egypt. And Moses said to Aaron, Take a jar and put an omer of manna in it and place it before the Lord to be kept throughout your generations. As the Lord commanded Moses, so Aaron placed it before the testimony to be kept. The people of Israel ate, manna, ate the manna 40 years till they came to a habitable land. And they ate the manna till they came to the border of the land of Canaan. And an omer is the tenth part of an ephah. Oh God, would you bless the preaching of your word? We need you now to open our eyes to, so that we might see you, to be satisfied by this feast of your word. We ask all this in the name of Christ. Amen. You may be seated. It is worth remembering that the book of Exodus was written to the second generation of Israelites. The ones recorded here, the stubborn ones recorded here in chapter 16, are their parents and grandparents who never made it to the promised land. And I believe Moses is meaning to communicate to those second generation Israelites and ultimately to you and to me this main point. The Lord proves himself faithful in the midst of our fears, and he deserves our unwavering faith. The Lord proves himself faithful in the midst of our fears, and he deserves our unwavering faith. So as we journey through this narrative that we just read, we're going to see three separate 
components to this scene. First, the protest, the promise, and finally, the provision. First, the protest. After the tremendous victory of God at the Red Sea, Moses now turns the people east and then begins to journey, the journey to Mount Sinai and ultimately to the promised land. And as we saw, it didn't take long for the glow of victory to fade off their faces for them to realize that they are in the middle of nowhere, walking into the middle of nowhere to some destination out there. Three days later, they already recognize that there are significant logistical issues, namely watering a nation. You can see the fear take root in them back in chapter 15, verse 24, where it says, And the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? Overall, that complaint seems fairly respectful and necessary. Verse 22 says that they could not find any water. So they murmur and they grumble, and after three days of hiking in the desert and finding no water, I imagine there is some legitimate panic, but they ask Moses what they should do. They ask Moses what they should do, and Moses inquires of the Lord, and the Lord provides, Exodus 15, 25. And Moses cried to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a log, and he threw it in the water, and the water became sweet. However, In chapter 16, in our text this morning, we find that three weeks have gone by and they are hungry. Notice how this protest differs from their inquiry about the water. Chapter 16, verse 2 through 3. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the people of Israel said to them, Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by meat pots and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. What was at first just the people murmuring in chapter 15 has now turned to the entire congregation of the people of Israel, complaining and grumbling against Moses, Aaron, and ultimately the Lord himself. And this is another instance where the Israelites reference back to their slavery as if it were better to be there than in their current situation. Three weeks. That's all it took. Remember, a couple weeks ago, when we looked at the Passover, the Lord kept saying, remember, remember, because he knew they wouldn't. He instituted feasts so that they would remember, but it only took three weeks for them to forget. Commentator Victor Hamilton puts it this way. As John Goldingay remarks, only a few weeks' distance has given a rosy hue to their experience in the slave house. God wants to use this experience to orient his people to the future, but they are locked into their past. God wants his people to remember what can be. They only remember what it was like. The idea of security, but outside the will of God, seems preferable to insecurity and uncertainty, but inside the will of God. Isn't that just like us, though? It's tempting to read the Israelites grumbling in the wilderness and say, how could they grumble? Didn't they just see God save them from the Egyptians by splitting the Red Sea and destroying the Egyptian army? And not only that, didn't they just witness not one, two, but ten mighty acts of God? Don't they know who this God is? Is he not greater than Pharaoh? Why why do they think that he would have gone through all that work just to bring them here to die in the wilderness? It's easy to think that. 
But remember 2020. (laughs) This is human nature. One hint of potential disruption in the supply chain, and what do we all run and grab? Toilet paper. That's the most essential item. Toilet paper and hand sanitizer. Those two things, that will get us through the uncertain pandemic. What about when the market plummets? There's a run on the bank. The market plummets, wiping out years of gain on your 401k overnight. Or inflation spikes and everything's got more expensive, but your income hasn't changed. Or medical bills come in. Or you lose your job. What about then? Which each of those things, question marks, are inserted into our faith. And if you're like me, when those things come in, I feel my heart rate quicken. I feel my temperature rise as anxiety and ultimately fear begins to grow in my heart. And like the Israelites, I'm prone, what I'm prone to do is doubt God. His provision as well as his care. He has, left, has he left me to die out here on my own? But notice, friends, fear, like faith, is future-oriented. It looks at the present circumstance and then looks out into the unknown and says, I don't know what's going to happen next. No, I'm not in control. The future is scary because it's unknown to us. And all the scary things around us promise to knock us out. And we often believe those things. And when fear sets in, unbelief in the God who is in control is quick to follow. We are like the disciples in the boat with Jesus in Mark chapter 4. The chaotic windstorm kicks up quickly around them, catching them off guard. And as Jesus sleeps in the stern, seemingly holy, unconcerned about the seriousness of their situation, the disciples cry out, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Do you not care? And Jesus graciously, patiently awakens, calms the storm and looks at them and ultimately to you and to me and says, have you still no faith? But in the midst of our doubting, of our fear and anxiety about the future and in the midst of our grumbling, God makes abundant promises to us and he does the exact same to the Israelites. Number two, the promise. Like all complainers, the Israelites had exaggerated their situation. They are not on the verge of starvation. In fact, the very next chapter, they are going to complain again about not having water for their livestock. So we know that they had access to food, but they didn't want that food. Psalm 78, 18, commenting on the history of the Israelites, confirms this when it says, they tested God in their hearts by demanding the food they craved. And in their exaggeration, the Israelites show the depth of the problem to the Lord. Getting getting Israel out of Egypt was easy. Getting Egypt out of Israel was going to take more time. The issue in the camp was not their circumstances, but their sinful, doubting hearts in the midst of their circumstances. Imagine if our children were to complain to us as the Israelites complained to God, why did you bring me to Costco just to die of starvation? Hard to believe, I know, but chances are that we would not respond to that the way God responded to the Israelites. Instead of handing out judgment, instead of handing out discipline, the Lord responds to the grumbling of his people with a promise. Look at verse 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am going to rain bread from heaven for you. What a 
promise, the destructive hail the Israelites witnessed being rained down from heaven back in Egypt is now turned to this benevolent, gracious provision from the Lord. The power of the Lord is undeniable. The warrior king, the subject of the song of Moses just last week, it matters whether you are a friend or a foe of that king. And notice what is promised, abundance. I will rain bread from heaven for you. The promise of God is not to just give them enough for survival or just to give them enough to quiet their grumbling stomachs and thus quiet their grumbling mouths, but it is a lavish pouring out. This God gives good gifts to his children. However, you will notice that the Lord includes in his promise a condition. Like every promise God ever makes, there is a necessary condition, and it is that of faith. Look again at verse 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. The Lord is ready and willing to pour blessings out on his people, to care for them and to provide for them, but he sets conditions to see if they will trust him or not. Are they willing to submit to him, or are they to remain their own gods? He promises them food in plenty, but just for that day. He will give them their daily bread, but they must trust him and his word that he will provide the next day. And the next day, and the day after that, just as he said he would do. Put yourself in Israel's shoes. You're hungry, you're tired, it's hot, and Moses declares to you that the Lord has heard your cries again, and he has promised to provide again. (laughs) And after the cursory thanks, I think I would be tempted to begin to store up some of that food that he's provided in my pantry, just in case. Yes, God, thank you for your provision. It's very appreciated, but just in case you decide to not keep your word, I'm going to have a backup. I won't be one caught unawares and unprepared. Like Americans during the pandemic who stocked up on toilet paper, you never know how much you might need. We don't know the future. But just as the miraculous works of God back in Egypt were meant to be a revelation of the power of God, so too is this miraculous provision. Notice the purpose of what God is aimed at achieving in this text. Verse 6, So Moses and Aaron said to the people of Israel, At evening you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And in the morning you will see the glory of the Lord. Verse 11, And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel. Say to them, At twilight you shall eat meat. And in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God. So, according to Moses, this miraculous provision is meant to continue to reveal the Lord and his character to his people. They see his glory and his character and his care throughout. And God not only promises to provide for them now in the wilderness, but he has promised to bring them out of Egypt, which he's already done, and to bring them to this promised land. Look at the promise God made to Moses all the way back in chapter 3 at the burning bush. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmaster. I know their sufferings 
And I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to the wilderness to die of hunger? No, to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. The Israelites were fearful about the future. That's at least understandable, but they are not following a God who is unknown to them or who hasn't proven himself true to his word yet. No, this God has shown over and over again that he is faithful. He is working all things in accordance with his will for the good of his people. He hasn't failed them yet. Look at what he just did in the Exodus. What they just sang about. He hasn't failed them, and he won't fail them in the future. So the question before us is this. What about me? What uncertainty about the future and fear about what comes next, when those things take hold of us, we need something sure. We need some objective, external anchor for our souls to rest in. We need a God who is faithful to his promises and who has made glorious promises to us. And friends, that is our God. We know such a God in Christ Jesus. Look at what Jesus said in this famous passage in Matthew chapter 6. He says, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on it. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And are you not more value of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after such things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. The Israelites needed that. We need that. The promise of Christ is to rest in him and his provision this day. Jesus knows that fear is future-oriented, but so is faith. Faith looks to the future and acts, not blindly hoping that some unknown thing might catch us, but faith looks to the future, assured that God will do all that he said he will do because of all that he has already done for us. And what the Israelites saw with their own eyes, we have something even more sure. We, my friends, we have Christ crucified. As Paul amplifies it in Romans chapter 8, 32, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So, trust the promises of God now, right now, because he cares for you. 
And because our God is a good and faithful God, his promises do come true. Number three and finally, the provision. Sure enough, surprise, surprise, God does exactly what he said he was going to do. The Israelites' complaint was that back in Egypt, they had meat pots and access to bread, but now God covers the entire camp with meat and bread. They are confused with what it is God has provided them, but Moses reminds them what they must do. They must gather. And so it is with God. He requires faith to trust in his promises, and that faith cannot be stagnant. God was not going to drop the bread directly into their mouths. No, they had to look to God and his promises and his provision and then act on that faith. In short, they had to gather. And as they gather, they find, just as God had, they find it just as God had said. This is going to be the same case in the future when they come to the promised land. It's theirs. The land is theirs. God has promised it to them. But they need to go and take it, trusting that God will do what he said he will do in fighting for his people. Notice, too, that this bread was not just in abundance, like dew covering the entire camp, but it was sweet. Did you notice that? It's sweet. Verse 31. Now the house of Israel called its name manna, and it was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. God not only gives them something to sustain them, it tastes good. (laughs) It's sweet, and it's worth Eating. Isn't that so like our God? He not only gives gifts to us, not only keeps our heart beating and fills our lungs with air, but gives us a world in technicolor, a world that is alive with, with sights and tastes and sound and food that is delicious. This is the God we serve. God did exactly what he said he was going to do. It required actual faith to trust him each day to provide for what was needed that day. There is no evidence that God made them ration or gave them just barely what they needed to make it through the wilderness. God does not skimp, but lavishes blessing on them. Look at verse 17 and 18. And the people did so. They, they gathered. They gathered some, some more, some less. But when, the, when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over. And whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. Every day, they feasted. Every day, they ate as much as they could eat. Every day, they had no lack. But God is not just interested in the physical well-being of his people. He's not just acted in history to feed us physical bread But our Lord has made abundant provision for our souls. Jesus, the very Son of God, when he was commenting on this scene in John chapter 6, he says this, Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, Give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. And whoever believes in me shall never thirst. God provides for his people. And he has given us the only thing that could ever actually satisfy his son. 
Jesus Christ, the bread of life, broken for you and for me. The same Jesus who also was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, who also experienced hunger and was tempted to take matters into his own hands, yet where Israel failed, Christ succeeded. He is the bread of life, and it's on Christ and all that he has done that we feast. And it is in Christ that all of the promises are yes and amen to us. Our God is faithful to his promises. And so, dear friends, no matter the circumstance, no matter the suffering and the fear of the future, we know the one who is sovereign over all. He alone is worthy. He alone is worthy of our trust and our faith. And this is not some blind hope, but it's based on what's already done, been done in the death and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then that application of that saving work to our souls. He has brought us from death to life. And he has made us children of God. And he is a good father that gives good gifts to his children. So trust him. Turn to him. He is infinitely worthy of our trust. Let's pray. Oh God, how quickly we forget all that you have done. How, how easy it is to look to the future and see only unknown, see only the dangers that could be. But God, you have made promises to us in your Son, and you are worthy of our trust and praise. Every promise you've made, you keep. And so God, this morning as we come with all of our fears and our anxieties and our situations and our circumstances and our suffering and in our waiting, you have said, I am the bread of life. Come to me and you will never hunger again. We're asking for that now in Christ's name. Amen.